so Ian and I know from yeah, like I think we reached out a while back and like we've just we've been just kind of like talking about the market sharing deal flow and yeah, Ian works at uh, Fabric Ventures um, at the moment. So yeah, Ian, if you can just give us like a quick summary, like maybe a minute or thirty seconds. Yeah, sure thing. You can hear me well. Yeah. 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 Okay. Perfect. Um, yeah, so with Fabric, we had a fund since about 2017 in the space. The partners One came from. Ian. Sorry, Ian. Are, is ever anyone breaking up for Ian right now? No, I think. No, okay. it was good for us. Yeah. Okay, okay. Sorry. But let me fix my. Okay, so yeah, we had a small fund um, since about 2017. The partner's been in the space since about 2013 with Pantera and some other things. Um, investing across everything from infrastructure, like their ones, their two scaling solutions, middleware, uh, privacy, through DeFi, Metaverse, gaming. We did like SoRare and Axie and Yodgo Games and Blackpool. Um, and then also looking forwards to sort of healthcare, secure computation and DAO governance tooling. Um, but yeah, now we've got a new fund, been deploying since about April, it's 150 million pretty much the biggest blockchain fund in Europe and doing tokens equity across Europe globally from series pre-seed to series B. Um, yeah. And me personally, I joined full-time last summer. So I've coming up on about a year and a half now. Previously, I spent a lot of time in academia synthesizing nanomaterials for carbon capture and all sorts of boring stuff, but then made the sensible decision of, um, leaving academia behind for this. So, yeah, glad to be here. Nice. Awesome to have you. Um, yeah, so sweet. It's good that we have some Axie insights and some Metaverse insights because that's kind of the the booming narrative right now. Um, yeah, Fabric made real good plays. I think, yeah, they, they've made yeah. some, like, yeah, <laughs> incredible plays. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I know they're like super, super well known in Europe right now. So, yeah, I'm I'm yeah. probably just gonna buy whatever you mentioned on this call. Exactly. In, in terms yeah. of gaming, <laughs> that's, that's the idea. <laughs> no, this is not financial advice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll turn it into it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah, because like I I want to discuss like whatever Ian has to kind of offer first uh, before we kind of go into our agenda. So um, you know I think you mentioned you guys are you know deeply exploring um, the like the social creator economy side and yeah like let's uh, let's like maybe start the topic there and then you know like once we lost that we can move on to some of our, our other agenda. So. Yeah, like, um, what, 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 like, uh, in terms of like the the social, like, creator economy, like, how are you guys like first like categorizing that in like big buckets and like, you know, like, what are you guys finding interesting there? Yeah, sure. So I've got this. I don't know if it's controversial thesis, but um, for a while, everyone was talking about social tokens like last summer as being the next thing after NFTs, and I think actually. NFTs are kind of just going to take over that narrative. The whole idea of social tokens is that you can give ownership to a community, reward early users, provide utility to them, all that kind of good jazz. Because along this um, line of the financialization of everything and younger generations are getting into investing just as like a natural habit. Whereas I see actually NFTs as just being able to do that, but better because then community members have an emotional attachment to a specific NFT rather than just having like a social token that makes you part of a moon boy club. Um, so I don't know if that's controversial, but I think social tokens may not take off as much as we expect. And actually that's just because instead of issuing a social token to a community and then gating Discord channels, or whatever it is like that, you just have community members have NFTs and then you gate using unlock protocol, mint gate on collab land and all the rest in the same sort of way. But actually it's much more granular and you still have your like thousand super fans that will be willing to spend lots of money, but probably more so because they get a collectible afterwards. I don't know if anyone's thoughts on that. 
kind of had, have had like similar uh, theses. Like I, we've obviously seen, seen like the NFT communities, like they're some of the most strong, uh, some of the strongest communities, the ones that are uh, big anyways. Um, and like, like what you said, there is like a big emotional attachment with these NFTs and um, something that we almost don't see with social tokens. Like I think the social tokens, just seeing the price action of it, like it kind of, um, yeah, it falls short a little bit. It fuds. It like fuds people uh, seeing the price action of it, I think. Uh, go on, Carl. No, I was just saying it's like, it, 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 like uh, there's, I don't think there's like a clear narrative that people kind of see for social tokens right now. Um, it's, yeah, it's like, I, I think we've, we've always been exploring it, but also at the same time, it's it's like little too, like maybe two steps too far. It's not the immediate next step. So it's like, it's really hard to see how those like, you know, like how those tokens will like, or, you know, projects will perform or like if it's even feasible in terms of like creating that market. Because there's no market for it right now. Yeah, so I don't know, um, Ian, like, like if you guys have like have thoughts around that, um, around like the market side, and you know maybe like some big no. categories. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, like it's really easy to issue a token, and then it's even easier easier now with roll and rally and chilies and the rest. Um, but then it's the question of what do you do with it afterwards. And that's not been solved yet for social tokens. Like for now, people are quite happy to speculate on JPEGs. But um, I mean, there's a bit of speculation way back with Friends of Benefits and Whale and stuff, uh, but nowhere near the same degree. I don't know if it's not as easy to launder money with social tokens as NFTs, but. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, is there, are there like any other, anything else you guys are kind of looking at other than uh, maybe social tokens? Though? Yeah, so sort of on that on that same sort of thread of like creator economy, um, we looked for a while at music NFTs, and I basically became super bearish on them because you can split it roughly into two different camps: either embedded royalties or just like Web three native. And with embedded royalties, you then have to interface with the real world in some way, and that always brings loads of sort of regulatory complexity and then also actually how do you manage those payments like for music you have to go through collection societies which then go through publishers or like streamers which then go back to like the um, rights holders and it's just a massive ball ache and the thesis always for having these embedded royalty streams is um, you can invest in an nft that represents the future royalties from uh, a certain artist and then when that artist becomes huge you hit the jackpot because you now have all of these cash flows but actually we haven't seen really cash flows be the meaningful driver for value in nfts so far it's mostly been curation community speculation and so i'm not convinced that those cash flows are going to change anything for music nfts and then also, the first NFTs that an artist issues, regardless of future cash flows or not, they're still going to moon in price when the artist becomes huge because they're like a piece of that history. So, so that sort of puts embedded royalties to the side for me. And then for uh, sort of Web3 native music NFTs, I'm not convinced that you need a music-specific platform to issue those versus just like creators in general. So then... That's why we've been exploring sort of create the NFT issuance platforms. The issue being there's just like a hundred different ones. And so what's the defensibility of one of them? Is it just scale and then you get liquidity? And that's how sort of OpenSea has existed as number one. OpenSea, like no one really cares about the brand. It's just because that's where everyone lists everything. So everyone goes there. Yeah. I don't know, like, anyone has thoughts around that? On the creator side? No, not right now. Yeah, because, like, yeah, we haven't really explored that. Yeah, also, I think, yeah, like, I think it's, like, a, it's one of those things that, um, 
yeah, it's like social token is like it's like even further away. And I, I do agree that it's like there's no clear revenue model right now um, in terms of like you know like I guess like it's like clear like not revenue model but where like the clear incentive model um, other than just speculation. And I, I think I really liked what you kind of mentioned before. You know, like especially like for music NFTs, it's not like JPEGs where there is some usability and like there's some aspects of vanity. It's like you know you own a music NFT and it's like there's it's you can't really do anything with it, right? It's like the the, the consumption right. medium is like you know is yeah. very different. There's no consumption music NFTs. Like you would have to listen to the track for like 15, 30 seconds, whatever, rather than look at it for three seconds on Twitter. Um, and then additionally, the sort of the NFT is independent from the production of the music itself. So you don't have to have the NFT to be part of a community of people who listen to that music. And the artist creating that music doesn't have to create that NFT. Whereas a generative artist, the NFT is the is the content and so they're much more intrinsically linked and then to be part of the community related to that nft you have to own that nft to be part of the board ape community you need a board ape yeah whereas to be you know a fan of whatever favorite music you know artist you can just listen to it and you can chat to people about it anyway there's there's no barrier to entry to listening to music right right so some platforms allow the fans um like uh to invest in the songs and like own part of the songs so like i guess that's like one of the use cases where um it's like coming up right now yeah so that's stuff like vest um one from is doing that right now too yeah so there's a lot of people trying to be republic for xyz content um and that's where it sort of comes back to like so far at least most of the value of nfts has been speculative and community and curation rather than future cash flows. So like they, they can add a floor for the what the price of an NFT should be because you're guaranteed it is a little bit. But in most cases, and especially for music, um, it takes like two years to get a given royalties and then they're pennies anyway, unless it's a huge artist. Yeah, yeah that's true. No, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that's why we haven't been exploring as much um i think most of our narrative has been yeah like you know things that are things that are a little closer to like we we've been um getting into some metaverse and leading some metaverse deals as well um so like metaverse has been like always been on our radar and like i think it's finally uh, you know paying off after but us like you know two three months of talking about it so i think yeah like we are kind of looking into more of like the director kind of um, uh, trends, maybe like in the next six to 12 months and then seeing what might kind of pop off there. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. That's kind of like the creator economy. Is, is there anything that you, uh, anything else that you want to go over? No, that's, that's shot one of us in gaming. Got it. Yeah. Uh, Luke, yeah, like let's uh let's go over some of the stuff on, in our agenda then. All right, should we stop with uh start off with gaming and metaverse? And yeah, because kind of yeah, it's like economy. Yeah, I think it's like a good segue as well. Yeah, um, I still think it's a little bit up in the air. Um, like last time we we mentioned it, and I think we just dropped it right off the bat because there's not much information. But um, we've seen kind of a lot of big players jump into the metaverse or talk about they're going to uh, mention that they're going to jump into the metaverse. Uh, Ubisoft is probably one of the bigger names I've seen jump onto the, uh, they said that they're going to start making blockchain games, uh, blockchain NFTs and play to earn games. Um, so yeah, they're, They've already have a few. They already have a foot in the door with a few crypto investments, so I think they're going to be probably the the um, the AAA uh, game platform to watch right now. Game developers to watch right now. Um, 
Some other news that we have today is Nike is rumored to be jumping into the metaverse also. And uh, Microsoft is, I think, planning to announce something in 2022 or um, is planning to launch something in 2022. But um, yeah, so right now, uh, or the last time we talked, we've had Ubisoft, Nike, and Microsoft jump in. Um, And then we've seen kind of the GameFi narrative pick up a little bit more so than the last time we talked about it, like a week ago or so. And uh, since then, we've seen these open world tokens pop off, like Mana and Sand. Uh, Mana's probably popping off because it's kind of heavily uh, retail, marketed to retail. So, um, yeah, I have a little uh, yeah. engine would fit in this narrative too, like these easy to to buy uh, metaverse tokens. Yeah, it's because like uh, I think uh, we we didn't get into the round, but there was a there's like a parcel, yeah, me parcel, which was the Zillow for all these like metaverse lands. Um, so I do feel like yeah, like that um, sub economies of um, I guess like if metaverse takes off, yeah, the sub economies of like metaverse might take off on that as well. Um, yeah, so there, there could be pretty interesting applications that are popping up and like, yeah, like just like I, I did it like an outrageous, like I owned a couple of lands on Sandbox. So like, you know, like I doubled my land price and just like put them out there and yeah, like they've been getting bought out. So <laughs> I think it's like, yeah, like the, that trends is like, you know, definitely increasing. Um, Ian, but uh, yeah, like on your side, are you guys like, you know, um, looking at anything interesting and like kind of finding anything interesting that are popping up in the metaverse space or getting by. Yeah. I mean, Ubisoft isn't really news to be honest. Like they've been doing their entrepreneur lab for, I don't know how many years now, like Sora and um, Crucible and Horizon, like a bunch of like really prolific blockchain games all came through them. Um, and then actually, yeah, Microsoft just had the Ignite sort of, I don't know, conference type thing, like a virtual speech thing, and they were talking about metaverse stuff. So everyone's just jumping on the bandwagon, especially because of Facebook. Um, but in terms of games, yeah, we're looking at a few game studios. I don't really know what I can say or not. <laughs> but both ideas and a new IP. Um, are uh, there, yeah, like, are there anything that's like, um, like that you guys are saying that that's more on the, like, um, like the sub ecosystem of like, you know, like maybe like renting lands and like metaverse or, um, I don't know what, what so, else we've seen. Uh, yeah. Um, so there was, I mean, there was one project Vera, Vera.financial, I think or something like that, um, like super cool ideas of what they're doing in terms of like holding NFTs in escrow, being able to rent and on the flip side lease. Um, it's just, I don't know about the execution on that one, but broadly that idea I think is super essential to being able to have um, a proper economy within the metaverse because yeah. otherwise you're left just like Axie solutions where it's effectively a centralized solution to being able to share the assets um, through the game accounts rather than actually on-chain being able to rent out the assets for some period of time. Right, right. Yeah, I think we've seen the the rents and like the, I guess like, yeah, like lending and borrowing on the, like using NFT as a collateral. I still don't know if it, that like mixes in as well because like just the liquidity side and everything else, it's just like too volatile. I think when you, when you look at NFTs more as like, a utility or like an asset like an axie and they generate money i think lending and borrowing makes a lot more sense like um there's not like current there's currently not a trustless way for managers and scholars to for managers to pay their scholars so when i like pay my scholars i take all the funds at first and then i um, send them their funds uh, individually afterwards so they all have to trust me and ideally, like what I want to see more is like 
borrowing and lending of like video game assets. Um, so like I on chain, I can borrow Axie Infinity and there's a timer. You know, if I don't uh, pay back the, the Axies on a certain day, then I, um, you know, like my, my collateral, um, you know, like the whoever's lending them gets my, my collateral or however it's uh, worked out. I think that's a pretty bullish narrative because there's currently not a trustless solution for that. And um, yeah, I think if guilds are going to grow, then there's going to need a trustless uh, that's true. hub for this. So, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, the, and then um, I Ari. do like to want to throw up on there as well. Like uh, for Arweave, you know, as Metaverse gets bigger and bigger, I think you will need some kind of like storage, right? And I know, you know, there's like, you know, other storages up there, you know, people can use like AWS for clouding and all that. But yeah, I think Arweave might be, you know, or other um, storage, um, yeah, tokens might pop up because of, you know, all that state storage that you need to um, use for like your back backing up and all that, so... Uh, yeah, I wish told wish you told us that yesterday. Our <laughs> <laughs> weave is up thirty percent today, so <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard to hard to enter right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I have to invest in our weave though. You can invest in our weave project. So there's a cool one called Kive A Y V E. Um, I'm gonna get an update from them soon, but what they're doing is backing up blockchains so like solana right now just has the one copy which is 200 terabytes whatever it is um of all their blocks but you'd rather have everything backed up on our weave interesting and then on yeah on lending and borrowing for nfts the problem historically has been price discovery and then you have to break that down into different categories like one of ones yeah. obviously you just have sort of appraised traditionally or using upshot or something similar. Um, and then you have stuff like NFTX uh, or NFT20 to do floor prices for collections, but then obviously that's really capital inefficient for the higher value ones. Um, or as um, I think it was the intern mentioned, for assets that have future cash flows, then you can be able to price them more accurately. And that's the kind of stuff that Blackpool um, one of the other guilds, or it's like an on-chain NFT hedge fund, Blackpool of Finance, that we're involved in. That's what um, they really work on is yield generating NFT assets. Mm. Yeah, I think appraisal is another big issue because it's like it, to build that even infrastructure and like, you know, like legitimacy. It's like, I feel like that's a that's going to be a a whole new market that that needs to kind of come out um, and, you know, like value these NFTs. So, yeah. Um, sounds good. Um, yeah, look, what else do we have? Um, yeah, so we have uh, I could some... To, to Polkadot, because we were in the first round of that, so we're still pretty close to <laughs> what you guys are in the first round of Polkadot? Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Wow. That's a good deal. Yeah. How much yeah. was your prize? Like 70 cents or something like that? 50 cents? Um, <laughs> I think a bit less. <laughs> oh, my God. That's nuts. Anyways, yeah. Um, yeah Polkadot. Um, yeah. What did you want to talk about here? Well, like, I'm not really a trader, and I get, like, slightly more sort of liquid vibes in this group. But um, I guess my opinion on the dot would be, if you look at KSM yeah. from their auctions, actually, it was a sell-the-news event. And so it's like, pump, pump, pump. And then whatever it was, the 4th of, I can't remember what month it was, sometime in June or something then actually it crashed and like granted it was very different market conditions but i don't know if it's the same kind of thing that we're basically mm. pricing it already yeah that's my two cents oh 
you, you mean like it's like it's like going up because of like the options and then basically it's you know like after mm-hmm. the options the the illiquidity from locked up dots once we get the auctions is probably being priced in now because everyone's like oh the auctions are coming bye 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 um and then as soon as actually they open or maybe once they close even then it's like oh well gone but people are still still holding a load of dots and they'll probably dump yeah but, yeah but, I agree. yeah yes that's what i will happen if yeah. you look at kusam parallel yeah, yeah. I think uh, I, th- I think yeah, like everyone's trying to uh, like get the dots to, to participate in the auction, and they know that it's going to be like a, you know illiquid, so uh, they want some dot exposure, so they're just buying extra. Like uh, that's what I'm doing as well. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's like that's what's going on. But is there like an ecosystem um, play that we wanted to talk about um, for? Um, uh, for dot uh, look, I don't know if there was. Not yeah, not a parachain auction play that I know of right now. Um, uh, Dennis, do you have any? I know you've been looking into. Uh, so top like I think uh, top three right: Akala, Astar, Moonbeam. Definitely all worth getting in. Um, Moonbeam obviously Moonriver did really well, so like they have the kind of price um, exploitation there, but um, they don't have a liquid crowd loan versus Akala and uh, Astar both have like a liquid version that you can kind of like unlock your dot early pretty soon, and then um. Yeah, uh, there's a couple more like Manta is in there, uh, Darwinium, Equilibrium. Those are, I would say, fighting for top fourth and fifth slots, most likely. Um, yeah, not, I don't have any real, really big like conviction plays in those from like fourth to tenth. Because uh, the way I see it is um, you're doing dot crowd loans anyways. They're, they're going to be like right off the bat, like billion dollar projects, uh, the top ones. So you might as well bet on the the ones that are biggest and the ones that will be like Binance and maybe even Coinbase day one or day week one or something. Um, purely speculation, right? But uh, I, th- I think that's really what sets especially Akala and Moonbeam, um, apart from the rest. Uh, but yeah, mm. I don't think too much fundamental analysis on like what these individually do is too important because they're all different anyways. So, yeah. Mm. Got it. Yeah. Did yeah. Go ahead. Did anyone get into Moon River for that sale? That pissed me off. <laughs> that was uh yeah that was a good one yeah it was really good yeah the moon river was a uh, was a big winner i think, I don't most, think people, most people got faked out then. by uh karura and uh yeah so hope hope that happens again i mean maybe yeah who knows yeah it's worth putting a second yeah i think I think Moon River, they did it through token soft, right? And then exactly. Yeah, I cute. I've been putting my thumbs and then they ran out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you mean that. the initial token sale? Yeah. Okay. Token soft. I feel like projects that get on token soft to do the fundraising, they usually like pop up like crazy in the beginning. Like, yeah. Uh, I know how Graph did it too. Yeah, exactly. That was like, yeah, that was a good one. Ended. Um, yeah. It's basically anything on TokenSoft, anything on CoinList, just like chuck some money in. It's basically a lottery if you get a ticket. <laughs> yep. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so, Ian, are you guys watching anything on these like layer one uh, polka dot chains like Moon River, uh, Shiden, um, um, I guess Moonbeam, <laughs> A Star? Yeah, I mean, like, we looked at all of them before, you know, like, years ago or months ago. Um, I didn't really do anything. There's one I've been talking to lately called Burn, T3RN, Bio. And that's actually quite interesting. Well, because, like, a lot of the projects on, on Polkadot are just, like, 
existing DeFi on Ethereum, but on Polkadot. And so they command the premium for that. But um, and what they're doing is sort of the ability to deploy contracts across chains, or at least initially cross parachains. So you could like send some assets from, you know, whatever, a to somewhere and then provide liquidity somewhere else and then like send it back. And it's just like quite a cool idea of what, right, we have like bridging, but that's not really truly interesting. Let's see, it's, it's like you can't actually like push transactions and, and so do... like layer to layer uh, executions almost. Yeah. It's almost like a bridge between Polkadot or cross chain bridge. And that was spelled how? So T T three R N Dio. Turn. Uh, that's the project that I finance as well. About, like, because they also do a parachain strategy, which involves like locking stuff into a vault and then using the yield from the vault to pay for dot. Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, I, I think we, we I remember seeing this. Yeah, Phil, you shared it while back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, this could be a good secondary market play as well. It seems uh yeah, like I mean, like bridge plays are always like really interesting and like they have high potential. So. Yeah, it's just super difficult technically for what Proposal and Turn are trying to do. Um, right, right. In terms of have, like you have to have, like really good low language developers. Um, mm, okay. And then like the other, yeah. no, I don't know how I feel about bridges just for, um, just for assets because like in theory, if we believe in this multi-chain future where you have like specialist chains for specialist applications like the ideal outcome is that you're very rarely bridging any assets and so how much value can the um, bridges actually accrete from like the transaction volume on chains should be like orders of magnitude higher than transaction volumes between chains mm, 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 mm. yeah yeah i think yeah, uh, connect has something working like somewhat general purpose between uh, ETH and opt, uh, OBM, I think. Not like completely general purpose, but not just asset bridging either. I think they send it a while back. I, I didn't understand oh. it because it was way too com complicated, but it's like they presented yeah. some like use cases that could work, some that don't. Um, yeah, it does, that was cool. But uh, yeah, I agree. Like... It's even hard to like estimate um, if it's even possible or if possible, like how. Yeah, long exactly, like, exactly. Cross chain, yeah. like smart contracts, and just interact with each other. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it's like a it's like work in progress for the next five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I guess that's that's like a yeah that's that's the dot. I, I think it's like yeah. I don't know if there's like too much to talk about there because it's like mostly like a kind of like all mostly a speculation play around like the um uh, the coming options. So yeah, yeah, sure, Link. Well, hey everybody. Um, um I actually just got bottom as a speaker. My name is Carter. Um, I just came in on the ladder and of you guys talking about bridges, and I would actually have to disagree. Um, I think that if you do have a multi-chain world, that actually highlights the need for a bridge because natively, you're not going to be able to have assets on different chains at once. So if, let's say you imagine a true metaverse, true multi-chain world, and you're on Solana primarily. Now you wanted to play a game that's primarily Ethereum-based. In the future, you probably go to click a button or have it done in-game. You can immediately migrate your assets to Solana and it would be done seamlessly. <laughs> And then you'd be able to port back without even really knowing from a user perspective. So it actually highlights the need for bridges. The real question is how many bridges do you need to facilitate this kind of transactions? And the answer is probably an oligopoly. So if you're looking at like just how tech just typically um, aggregates, like by power law, you have, let's say, like three companies or five companies that run things. I would anticipate to see the same thing for bridges. 
Like right now, mm. the only ones are any swab. You'd have Synapse, and then maybe mm. another alternative. And then from there, you'll have all the chains connected through those ports. I think it makes a lot of sense um, from like a value accrual perspective to be investing in bridges because once it's it's really a situation where winner takes most because once you have mm. a trusted bridge. And then we can help solve the issue of having all of the funds. I think actually we're going to see a restructuring in bridges because right now there's somewhat of a liability given that while your assets are on the bridge, you have a lot of money that's being potentially, that could be potentially hacked. Like obviously if you use some slow bridges, they could take hours and that's very inefficient. But the reason why I, I like Synapse in particular because I've been buying it for a while is because you can do this instantly. <laughs> Like you can go from E to BSC to um, like upcoming, you know, Solana to Harmony. Like instantly. yeah, like so we, we no, I think um, it's we definitely yeah, agree. Like we've been in Solana for like almost two months now. Um, it's just yeah, like kind of in the short for a while. Yeah, the really kind of positive feedback loop ones where the public can um, provide liquidity and positively make the bridge better uh, and actually have high yield because the bridge is so much better than all the native bridges. Like pretty much Synapse is the only one that we like truly see really that's that's like actually really good. I've used yeah, any swap a lot. Like even Thorchain, it's just a little bit too complicated. Um now I just only use Synapse for all the EVM chains because it's like actually yeah, way better than every single native bridge. <laughs> it's not even close. I think Yeah, I not even close. And, and like the yeah, way like... they're growing, right? How fast they went on Phantom. Like it's it's just insane. Like fifty million dollars TVL first day, and all of a sudden you can you have this way faster bridge than any swap, which is mm -hmm. their their whole their own bridge. It's insane. Yeah, it's so. it's also like their their ability to like uh, pull liquidity. I think that's like a big thing. Yeah. Um, because like bridges like really depend on liquidity, right? So yeah, I think that's um, that's one of the things that that's really um that's that's really like yeah cool about them. But I think what Ian tough. was talking about, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it also just kind of depends on like what you consider a bridge. Like, for example, if you're talking about like Adam Cosmos and like IBC, like if you're having a general hub where you can interact between blockchains, is that a bridge? Like, it's not, it's not necessarily a bridge, but it's similar to a bridge. Or if you're on Polkadot, and it's interoperable, and you have different blockchains connected to Polkadot via parachains. Is that a bridge? Like, it's almost like how do you quanti How do you actually like qualitatively say what a bridge is? Is it anything that bridges assets? Because, I mean, that's that wouldn't really fit the definition of what you would see on Polkadot or other chains that are interoperable by default. Yeah, uh, maybe we should like. Well, it depends why we take the discussion, but you should probably define bridges for like whatever we're talking about. And like, don't get me wrong, I fully agree we need bridges um, in whatever form that takes. My point is for me that the, the traffic that happens on an individual chain is much higher than the traffic between chains. Um, like the, the conditions for a user to cross a bridge is a function of the opportunity cost they're paying for that capital to be on one layer one, not another. And then actually the bridge probably doesn't have any defensible claim to like network fees there. And then the other point was on the value capture of the bridge because traffic isn't actually the reason like take Ethereum traffic isn't the reason that Ethereum value goes up or Ethereum price action. Like, that's uh, mostly the supply sink and speculation on that. And that's like a precious metal thesis. So like, if you look at something like ThorChain, like Rune, the valuation of that is absurd for the, like, the volumes that they have. So it's like, yeah, you can make money investing in bridges and for sure people will. Like for me, the like traffic doesn't reflect what there will be on individual chains and the value accrual is not clear for the bridges. I think that's that's super clear for any swap as well. Like we cool. even before synapse, we really evaluated any swap a lot. I know me and Phil, we went into tokenomics and saw like, okay, like there's a lot of volume here and a lot of TBL, but why is any not going up? Is it just a accrual problem? And uh, it looked so. So yeah. Uh, I think that's another 
that are not a par is like they get used, but is it investable? Right? Does it make sense? Yeah, but I mean, I think you can help, you know, solve for those problems just by having positive tokenomics. So I think Synapse does that well. I mean, if you have a positive fee structure and you have a, like a system where you have staking, like so once Synapse has staking, you have, you know, LPs that are providing liquidity. It's integrated with all the different chains. You integrate with applications, even things like MetaMask or like some, some sort of mobile wallet to make it easier for their users. I think you would have a lot of value flowing through it because you can value it based off of its oh, action volumes you have and the more valuable that the bridge should be worth theoretically so that probably buying an L1 is Carter Carter's yeah he's, he's cutting off yeah. a little bit there Yeah, we can't really hear you, Carter. Uh, <laughs> you're you're uh, you're cutting off. Yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'm driving. I I just you're coming back past, though. Like a little spot. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, but, you're you're back. Yeah. Keep... All right, cool. Yeah, I was just, I'm driving by the way, but um, what I was saying is that it's kind of like a like layer ones are going to outperform bridges. I'd say for the opposite reasons because. Is, is successful it's worth trillions but you could also say it's not worth that much because you have 80 billion dollar companies that provide way more value so it's worth maybe a tenth of what it is so it's like i think with bridges they're they're a lot easier to value when you have like a very strong value capture mechanism like with fees and staking i think it's pretty easy for them to appreciate in price but yeah if you're just trying to make a linear bet I mean, a binary bet on bridges over L1s. I think you'd be better off betting on L1s. Just like I think you'd be better off betting on applications over bridges because applications have so much upside. And honestly, it doesn't even matter the tokenomics. A lot of you just because it has a lot of users. And they'll just assume that it should go up as the users increase. So that's kind of how I think about it. I would probably put it as applications one, then L1, two, then bridges three. But I think that it makes sense to have bridges as part of our portfolio as we transition to more of a multi-chain future. Yeah, I think we've been, been kind of like following that logic yeah, about two months ago. Yeah. That's a really good point you raised, Carter, on um, users will, well, people will buy because they see users and assume that there's sort of sustainable tokenomics. How long do people think that retail is still going to be able to drive the market? Like how long can we just live off um, retail supporting the liquidity for institutional investors. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question. I, I would say this cycle is the first cycle that we've meaningfully seen institutions and in, like actually involved on a level where to the tune of billions of dollars. So I would say even for an entirely next cycle, you probably see the same thing. You said, like, funny enough, you would think that there would be less meme coins, but I actually think the opposite. I think that as you have crypto goes more and more mainstream, you'll essentially create an entirely new category of coins that are just kind of similar to social tokens, but they're basically like just cultural tokens. So like Doge, I don't think that Doge will ever just disappear. Because if you think about the Lindy effect, like the longer something survives, the more likely it is to survive in the future. It's been around for coming up on a decade now. So if it would have died, it would have died by now. And it's stronger than ever. So I think that we'll probably see, like, over the next cycle, like, a lot of retail users being able to subsidize. So at the same time, I, I think that retail users are still going to have massive upside opportunities because there's places where institutions can't invest. So they can't invest in bridges at scale. They can invest in yield farm and do DeFi at scale. So if you're a retail user, particularly with someone, let's say you have 20. Yeah, we're starting to lose you again, Carter. $50,000, $50,000. dollars you have a big advantage over institutions and you can buy anything 
I think I've heard part of that. Basically, I, I think, he, like, you know, like, actually, I heard, like, glimpse of it. My brain, like, processed maybe half of it. Oh, no. Yeah, I just got back. I'm not even sure. I, I, I'm finally home now, so I'm on my normal Wi-Fi. So I'm not, I'm not moving yeah, that's so much better. Um, anyways, yeah. Yeah, um, on that, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point about uh, retail. But oh, at the end of the day, like, I do feel like retail, like when we say retail now, like retail, a lot of the retails are significantly wealthier, especially in crypto. So it's not just like retail in the typical terms of like the, you know, how we you know, like refer to retail. Like I think a lot of the people that have been in the street has been, you know, um, accumulating a ton of capital, um, like exponential capital. So I do feel like there's like maybe a smaller, maybe like baby institution, kind of like, you know, that the, the category is kind of popping up. And I do feel like there's like a lot of like the middle layer that's, uh, that's like being created um, in terms of crypto. So yeah, I think that's why... Yeah, there, there might be like a little more uh, room for the market to grow, and then based on the, the middle layer growing, there might be more institutions kind of coming in, and it's like this positive loop cycle. So that is one of the pieces that I had about the market. But yeah, I don't know how you guys are thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, when I say retail, I don't mean how much wealth they have, how much capital they're putting in. It's really like the investment thesis and mindset. So it's like probably less sophisticated, yeah. meaningful rather than yeah, Absolutely. rather than long. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean <laughs> this is a really good conversation actually. Like I didn't know we were gonna jump into the bridge. Um we are, we've been kinda like preaching that topic for a while. So yeah. Um and with this like Polkadot kind of like, yeah, Polkadot, I guess, auction and that whole interoperability narrative coming up. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if there's a like up in terms of like the bridge coins and stuff. But uh, yeah. Anything else, Luke, that we want to go over? Yeah. Um... Carter, by the way, do you want to do a quick intro? <laughs> you just gonna jump in. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of just hopped in. Yeah, you just gonna jump in. And then I just joined. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just started talking. And we're like, cool, this guy's smart, so we'll let him talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so back out about me, I've been in crypto since 2013. I started off just kind of as an investor, transitioned to the trading side. And then um, I really just decided, you know what? I, I'm spending so much time trading, it makes sense for me to automate it. So I dropped out of school. Um, I was studying financial engineering. And um, co uh, coincidentally, that, that kind of coincided with the ICO boom of 2017. So nice. essentially back then, if you weren't around back then, like you would invest in a project and then it would have like a base, like a, like a pre-sale, like a public sale. Yeah, you needed a bot though, right? What did you say? You needed a bot because like it's, it's, it was so hard to get into like these um, ICO sales. <laughs> I, I didn't even have any bots. Oh, I was you just bought. up at, at 3, 4, 5, 6 a.m. aping into ICOs, oh, right? So, so I was getting to, got into a bunch of ICOs, and that formed my initial capital base. And then I got into trading. And now I'm like, all right, well, now how do I automate this? So I brought on a team of four people, and we essentially created the foundation of what will become the Linhaven Group, which is my quantitative trading firm. And over the years, we've scaled dramatically since then. So most of my trading is actually um, automated. But then I do have my discretionary portfolio that I trade just for fun because it's just kind of fun to be involved. Um, so yeah, so like in terms of like what we do, like in general size, like we're trading about three to four billion in volume a month. Um, we're actually like on, we're actually on the volume leaderboards, but I'll toggle it off because I don't want to be public. Oh wow! But um, yeah, so like volume leaderboards. Um, the goal is to get to the top 20 leaderboard on FTX by P&L, but I'll, I'll probably just wait. And like, if I hit it, then I'll just toggle it on. So that's kind of like a background about me, quant. And, you know, funny enough, I actually had a background in arts. 
I went to like a like a, <laughs> a top art school. Nice. But I, I decided to go on engineering because I liked crypto and I'd always been into crypto. So I was like, you know what? Why am I going to be focusing on arts when I can just double down on what I know that I'm passionate about? And it ended up being the right choice. So that's a little bit of background about me, what I do now. Oh, and also, um, I'm a VC. So I'm a partner at Woo Ventures. So there's oh. a coin called Woo. And essentially what Woo does is it connects DeFi and CeFi together, cross-chain as well. Of course. So let's say, yeah, so it's like you have really, really deep liquidity on Woo. And you can have trading with zero fees. So like right now, if you were to compare like Woo to Binance, it's actually twice as liquid than Binance if you compare Bitcoin and Ethereum, like BTC, USD, and ETH, USD. Interesting. And the reason that's possible is because imagine you have the liquidity from a Binance smart chain pool and a Solana pool and an ETH pool and FTX and Huobi and WooX, the centralized exchange, but that's all connected together. So it's completely agnostic. So if you're buying an order, it's essentially flowing through the entire ecosystem. So you can have extremely, extremely deep liquidity and you have tight spreads that you really can't get anywhere else. Like it's kind of impressive. And you can go on the website and check this stuff out. Also, it's just woo.network. Yeah, I, so, I was talking um, to them earlier when they were just starting out, I think 2018. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah, woo. Yeah, so woo is actually incubated by Kronos Research. Kronos Research is a top five largest market makers in the world. Like I said, we do about four billion a month. And they do about like 10, 15 billion a day. So that's just like the, that's like the scale of like how big they are. Right. So Kronos Research actually created Woo as a way to deepen the liquidity of crypto as a whole, but also be able to grow their business because they're a market maker. So the more volume they can bring in and the more they can make and the more they can obviously just generate in terms of volumes. So that's like a background. Like I'm a partner there. So been on the trading side, but want to transition a lot more to the investing side, buying and holding, which is why I'm a partner at Kronos and Woo. And I help um, like play a role on both sides on the investment team because Kronos has a fund and then Woo has a fund. So Woo Ventures and then Kronos Ambrosia Fund. And I'm a partner at both. Nice. Dude, welcome to the call. Yeah, we should definitely have you on a separate session as well. Um, yeah, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, actually. yeah, let's let's we can just talk shit and talk shop. Yeah, um, but yeah, um, with Carter on board, I know we have like five minutes left. Um, is there like a last pinch that we want to talk about, Luke? Yeah, I think Solana is probably going to take a like. We might have a little Solana season before the end of the year. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, maybe like towards the end of November or like early December. Um, we see it has some pretty nice price action right now, but I think what I've really been seeing is I've seen a lot of dApps being built there that we haven't seen before. Um, like we, I've seen more dApps coming out on Solana than there was in the summer during the, when it was starting to really heat up from $50 to $200. So I think, I think I'm, I, uh, I'm expecting Solana to take another leg up, and I'm expecting the ecosystem to do much better this time um, around. Solana. Yeah, I yeah. want to jump into the ecosystem more, I, sh I should probably say. Yeah, um, ecosystems, yes, I think would be an interesting play. Like, I, I think Carter mentioned this. It's like, yeah, ecosystems, bridges, and, you know, like, I think those are going to be popping up as a narrative. As we get towards more of the, um, yeah, more of the, like the elephants kind of coming in the room too. Yeah. yeah um, so I'm seeing more um, interesting and novel dApps being built, um, some perps, um, some other stuff. So I think we're going to see a lot more uh, ecosystem growth this time around rather than just uh, uh, Soul um, taking the lead, Solana token um so yeah that's kind of the last uh one of the last topics that we have that we didn't touch yeah um, um i don't know if we can go deeper into the i don't know ian and carter like are you guys like kind of like seeing anything interesting for the next 
three months that you guys are kind of like, okay, like this might be, you know, this might be worth kind of like looking into. Yeah, I mean, I can say that I know on the venture side of things, I'm seeing a big uptick in platforms that are launching decentralized perps. So I think that's going to be like the next gold mine. If you can find the next, because we have Uniswap, we have SushiSwap, all these like basic DEXs. But if you can be able to invest in the next decentralized futures exchanges, I think there's a huge upside there, like at least 100x opportunity. The leading one is DYDX. Yeah, DYDX. Yeah, like for example, like on DYDX, like Wu makes up half of DYDX's liquidity. Like that's why DYDX is so good. <laughs> like, like literally, right? So, um, so that's why we're looking at these kind of products. So I think that keep an eye out for decentralized exchanges that are futures. Also, I would just watch, um, like the NFT space. Because I think that this cycle, you've had NFTs moon. But the thing is, NFTs mooned and they were illiquid and they weren't even composable and they weren't useful. They were just sitting and people would like the JPEGs, right? Like the meme says. Yeah. But imagine when these NFTs become useful, like in financial products. So if I could deposit my punk and take out a half a million dollar loan against it and then go borrow, I mean, then go put that money to buy another punk and then borrow against that. And then like over and over and over, right? So like if you thought NFT prices were high now, imagine when they're fully integrated into DeFi. Imagine when you have all of these MetaMask and similar wallets all on mobile and friendly. Because right now some of them are on mobile, but they're not friendly. Mm -hmm. So once you have very simple mobile wallets, I can deposit my NFT. I can take out a six-figure loan against it. I can go buy into a shit coin. I can flip it. Like you're going to see ridiculous like multiplier effects on some of these assets. Yeah. And I think when people are bearish on NFTs, I think they're <laughs> truly underestimating like the Ponzi-nomics of like how... <laughs> I am so worried about that Ponzi-nomic. That's like, that, that sounds worse than CDS. That actually legit sounds <laughs> so much worse than CDS. Yeah, I mean, I mean think about it. Like, like, my, like I have a punk, right? Let's say, let's assume my punk is a million dollars. I can take out probably 70% of that, right? So at 700K, then I can go buy Floor Punk for 400K and another one, let's say for 350K and I put up 50K on my own money. So now I effectively just turn one punk into three punks. So now, okay, what do I do from that? Now I can just take that money and I can like let it sit or I can then re-borrow against those punks and then deposit it into like another pro protocol. Or even if you get creative, you can use them as like half of a liquidity pair so i could put up like 500k valued punk and then 500k in eth and then i can farm my punk that i just borrowed against my punk right and then i can then take let's say like a leverage long position on the index of punks betting on the price going up for punks while collateralizing my so it's, it's like you can get really really creative with this kind of thing and so i would just keep an eye out for like the financialization of nfts and I'm super bullish NFTs long term because I know just from a psychological perspective that humans are greedy. So if they can find a way to financialize a product that's worth a lot of money and unlock it and make it liquid, they're going to. Mm -hmm. And it's going to attract a lot of money because people love to speculate. So why would you bet against that trend? <laughs> you know, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> I mean, I have a couple of reasons, but yeah, we'll go into the next call. Um, yeah, like Ian, what do you, uh, what's your kind of like uh, thoughts on like, uh, you know, like, I guess like next quarter, kind of useless yeah. Like, next year? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, we started talking about Solana. I'm seeing a lot of games there, stuff I'm getting bullish on, like Ember Sword. Obviously, there's like stuff like Star Atlas um, that's already gone probably way too expensive. I fully agree with financialization of NFTs, financialization of everything. Probably the only thing to add on that topic is there's a lot of illiquid real world assets, and those real world assets can be made very liquid on chain. The missing piece is how to bring them on chain and what sort of legal structures, centralized structures. Is it like security tokens for a holding company that owns real estate or whatever? There's loads of interesting stuff happening there, with like Centrifuge and others. Um, yeah, bullish on NFTs for sure. Mm. 
Yeah, we should maybe uh, maybe delve down more into that on the on the next call then. Um, yeah, like because so I, I, I don't think we were. I, yeah, go ahead. I have one question just to throw out there, just because I think it's a good mix of everything that we've talked about so far, but. NFTs were kind of like the first to coin like the metaverse um, and kind of like the metaverse has definitely popped off since like uh, all these projects I've been talking about it. So like Bored Apes kind of has their own metaverse and all these projects have their own metaverse. What are our thoughts on like these um, community created metaverses? I mean like NFT uh, and uh, metaverses. Do, do they have a chance against like Meta, uh, Facebook's uh, metaverse, and Microsoft's metaverse, or do they uh, do they have a leg up, or or what? Um, yeah. So this is where it's a semantic problem. Like there aren't individual metaverses. There is the metaverse, and we're already in it right now. Like in this room, this is one part of it. Um, it's sort of just a web of digital spaces. Those could be virtual spaces. Um, those could be 3D VR spaces, but it's yeah, it's a web of interoperable, permissionless, persistent, open sort of digital spaces, um, and like that already exists in that your digital identity is very different to your physical one, and so I think all of those have a place. It's just there's not one place where everyone's going to go and hang out. Like Decentraland isn't the metaverse, and everything else falls aside. Everything sticks together. Okay, interesting. It, yeah, I definitely think that a lot of people think of the metaverse, and they're assuming, like, let's say you you put on a headset and you go into this virtual world, and it's just like a recreation of our of our own world, but just digital, where you can just do anything. And I think that you'll have similar experiences to that, but it's really just a collection of different games because naturally. I think what's unfortunate is that with Facebook co-opting meta, you're going to have people that are going to be interpreting the metaverse to mean this closed ecosystem where Facebook controls everything and they're tracking your data and they, you know, you have on a headset and they just run the world. But when in fact, it's the opposite, like the metaverse actually gives people to opt out of like all these kind of closed ecosystems where let's say Epic Games who created Fortnite, their founders bullish on the metaverse, but I can imagine them having a more open metaverse. So if they have a game like Fortnite, and then they have another game that's essentially a sister game, you can use the items in both games together. I can be able to use my character in both games, or even perhaps you can create some sort of intermediary lounge where like, let's say I have an expensive or like a champion Fortnite character, and then I can hang out in this middle area and then I can just be with other characters and we can just be like hanging out as friends, doing social experiences. I think you'll see stuff like that start to develop. But like overall, I wouldn't be betting on, on Facebook's interpretation of the metaverse to be the dominant one just because there's so much mindshare competing against them. Like while they can leverage their ad network to do this kind of thing, to make it successful and then get it to millions of users, I don't think it could outcompete the gaming studios who actually want to open things up because like what it takes in my view is you need one successful game. Like let's say axes, but times 10 to prove that you can do this viably in an open ecosystem. Then you're going to open the floodgates. Like no one's really done that yet. And you have game publishers that are interested in crypto, but they're worried if I'm already making money in my own gaming marketplace, why would I want to put it on a blockchain and then open it up to everyone and then possibly lose money. So I think that once you have one success story, which probably happens in the next few years, funny enough, I think it actually comes from a very simple game. If you guys remember Flappy Bird or like Angry Birds, like it was like a very, very simple game where you just swipe or you tap the screen on iPhones. I think what you're going to see in crypto is a, a replication of like the early 2000s apps where you have like 2D games or 3D games that are so simple to use, and then they're going to go viral. And that's going to spawn a bunch of other 2D, 3D games. And then from there, you'll bootstrap the metaverse. I don't think that we're going to go from where we are today and then jump straight to massive immersive worlds because people aren't familiar mm -hmm. with it. Like They're much more likely to start with a simple app, use tokens, send them to friends. It's compatible with MetaMask. They can swap it with Solana. 
Now they're familiar with Bitcoin for two, three, four years, Ethereum, how this stuff works. And then from there, you gradually go at, funny enough, you go from, you know, I would say out the risk curve, but you kind of start on the edges of the risk curve and you go more and more safe. And then by the time the metaverse is developed, you have regulation, you have frameworks that then you can go and you can have people in these like massive, massive ecosystems. But I don't see how we go from people don't even knowing what Ethereum is or how to pronounce it to just jumping in World of Warcraft in a metaverse. It's, it's like there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think people underestimate gaming too. So like I've talked to a ton of people who've worked their careers in gaming. I mean, look at games like Fallout, um, like uh, like Skyrim, these kind of games. They take five, ten years to develop. Like Halo mm -hmm. alone, yeah, yeah. they're not they're not fast games. So like if you're buying a coin now because you think that this game's gonna unlock the metaverse in a year or two, you're definitely mistaken. Like <laughs> games take years to create, and they take a lot of money. So I, I'd actually be betting on like metaverse coins for this cycle with the intention to sell them like probably early next year or mid next year. Right. And then I think that during the next bear market, that's where you want to be investing for the long term. And of course the tokens that you like that survive are going to be at cheaper prices during the bear market. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of how I view it. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, let's definitely have you on this week or next week coming in. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll message. Yeah, definitely. yeah, I'll message you right after the call, Carter, and uh, we can get this suited, uh, situated. Um, Guys, I think we're yeah, like we're seven minutes over right now. I I know everyone has shit to do, um, so yeah. I don't want to I don't want to like keep going. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for coming in. Um, yeah, uh, Ian, um, uh, like yeah, thank you for like you know, kind of sharing your insight and Carter kind of in the in the middle. <laughs> yeah, just like yeah, like. Uh, uh, really big, big branding on all of us. So um, I think, uh, uh, yeah, like let's definitely have you on the show, and then yeah, uh, we'll we'll post the you know like all the summary of the notes and stuff in our M6 Bullets channel, um, so that you guys can kind of like catch up on the conversations and you know get a summary. Got it. Great. Oh yeah. Well, thanks for your time today. It was great talking to you guys and meeting you. Sounds and good. Looking forward to meeting in touch. All right. Sounds good, guys. Everyone enjoy your evening. <laughs> yeah, 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 we totally forgot about that, but yeah, we're gonna enjoy there. Yeah, that's a fair job. Take care. See, see you later, guys. Bye bye. Have a good day. See you guys.